Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. If there's one topic that we don't often like to discuss, it's the topic of death. But for a Christ follower, death isn't something to be feared because God promises heaven for those who believe in him. Today, Pastor Nicole is sharing a special message that focuses on heaven. What does God say about heaven? What is it exactly? And how can we be confident in what we will experience at Christ's return? That's what she's going to talk about today. So let's get started and learn more about our journey home. Here's Pastor Nicole. I want to start with this story that I came across um, from 1952. There was a woman named Lawrence Chadwick who was an outstanding athlete, and she determined to swim from the Catalina Island to the mainland of California. And she was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways, and this was her newest challenge. In that day that she swam, uh, the weather was foggy, it was chilly, and she swam for 15 hours straight. And the task was just so difficult. She, a boat was kind of um, by her as she was swimming for safety, and she yells to her mother, tell the captain to let me on board, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And her mother, as often mothers do, gently encourages her, you're almost there. Captain, keep going. You're almost there, right? You can do it. We're, we're almost there. Don't give up yet. But finally, physically and emotionally, uh, Florence Chadwick gave up, and she was pulled from the water onto the boat. She was less than one half mile from the shore. Now, at a news conference the next day, this is what she said. All I could, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And when I read that blurb, the Holy Spirit of God said to me this, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your shore is heaven. Your shore is heaven. And Jesus promised that someday we would be with him forever in this place that he prepared for us. And if we can keep our eternal home in mind on the hard days, on the easy days, on the foggy days, on the days that death has interrupted our plans, on the days that life is long and hard and difficult, if we can keep the hope of heaven in front of us, we can keep swimming. The hope of heaven can energize us. The hope of heaven can comfort us. So tell someone next to you this morning, just keep swimming. Just tell them that. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. That's what I thought of too. So I think uh, one of the reasons we don't talk about heaven very much is uh, we don't like to talk about death. But unless Christ returns soon, uh, we're all going to die. Everyone just be like, what? (gasps) The mortality rate of humanity in America, (laughs) everywhere, is 100%. I know, amazing, right? There's no avoiding it. I didn't even have to look that statistic up. I just knew that one. (laughs) Worldwide, three people die every second and 11,000 an hour. So that means uh, more than 250,000 people every day go to either heaven or hell. And so talking about death should not be gloom and doom for believers in Jesus. Jesus came to deliver us from the fear of death. The Apostle Paul knew this truth, and after Jesus died on the cross, he declared it this way, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 55. 
And it got me thinking that what delivers us from the fear of death is a relationship with a person who defeated it. What delivers us from the fear of death is a relationship with the only person who has ever defeated it. This person who died on our behalf and has gone ahead to make a place for us to live with him forever. You see, in the beginning, heaven and earth were entirely overlapped. They existed as one. I have a little kind of diagram for us today. But when Adam and Eve decided to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they disobeyed God. And that split heaven and earth. But since then, God is working to restore the two domains back together. In Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, it tells the story of a paradise lost, a moment where a man and a woman fail as earth's rulers. But in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, paradise is regained. And King Jesus rules the earth again. And heaven is a hopeful place. It's a place to anticipate. It's a place that is coming. It is a promise and it will happen. I wanna to start today, I just wanna to talk a little bit about the end, right? The culmination of when heaven and earth reunite again. Because the truth is, God is preparing a city for those who are Christ followers, for those that um, follow Jesus and trust in him, and we're gonna live in that city together forever, and that city isn't ready yet. We know that someday it will be. I have three daughters, um, they're 14, 10, and eight, and my eight-year-old um, loves to talk about heaven. I mean, all the time. She asks me questions all the time. Mom, in heaven, will I have curly hair? Because I'm not really liking this curly hair. I just wondered if I could trade it in. Uh, sure, Mercy. Mom, in heaven, can I have a horse? Can I have more than one horse? How many horses can I have in heaven? Dad won't even let me have one. You know, so in heaven, how many horses? Mom, oh, this is my favorite one. In heaven, can I eat whatever I want? Mercy, I hope so. Okay, like, I'm really hoping because <laughs> that, that would be glorious. You know, multiple times in scripture, God says that he will come down from heaven and will live with his people on the new earth. God's plan is to bring heaven to earth to dwell here with us forever. And not just for a thousand years in a millennial kingdom on the old earth, but forever on the new earth. You know, we normally, when we talk about heaven, when we think about heaven, uh, we, we usually say, I'm going to go up to heaven someday, right? Or heaven's up there, or maybe we're missing someone that died and went to heaven, and we say, oh, they're up there watching over us. But really, the ultimate promise is that God will one day come down to live with us in our place. That's the kind of God we serve. He's going to come down to live with us in our place on the new earth, in the new Jerusalem. And God is moving in with us. He says, I'm coming to your house, except he's going to fix it all up first. <laughs> he's going to make sure it's all good for him to live here. But he's coming to us. And so really, theologically, we don't go up to heaven. God comes to us. That's even richer, even better. So I want to read some passages from Revelation today. I asked Pastor Andy if he would stick around up here to help me read them. Uh, and I just want to talk a little bit through what the scripture says about heaven um, today. So let's start in Revelation 21, uh, verses 1 through 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So we know that everything on earth is just a whisper, just an inkling, uh, just a glimpse of what is to come. So I want you for just a moment to think of the most 
beautiful place you've ever seen on earth. Just think about it for a minute. My husband would say me, I know, but (laughs) pick something else. Maybe you've seen it with your own eyes. Maybe you've seen it in a photo. Maybe it was the Grand Canyon or an Amazon rainforest or the the Caribbean Sea or, or whatever it is. All of these rough sketches of a new earth. These are like new, excuse me, these are like sneak previews of our forever home, okay? These are like uh, little things that heaven will be full of, but even better, even better, even without any flaw, even without any sin that would maybe make it um, incomplete or not perfect. One author said it this way, these beautiful places on earth we see now are like licking the spoon of mama's beef stew an hour before supper, Just a taste of what is to come. And you know, God is not done with this earth. He promises a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And I don't think it was any accident that Jesus was a carpenter. What do carpenters do? They fix things. They make things. The carpenter from Nazareth made the universe, and he's going to fix it. And he's going to make it into the place that he designed all along. Uh, Let's keep reading in Revelation 21. This time, Pastor Andy, would you start in verse 11? It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. This is saying the New Jerusalem is not going to be a drab and boring city. It's going to radiate with God's glory. This verse says, uh, bright and beautiful, like a rare and precious jewel. That's going to be your home forever if you're a believer in Jesus. This city shines with the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, which is the visible manifestation of God's presence. In Revelation 22, it says, because of God's presence, the new Jerusalem is not even going to need a sun, a moon, or any other light because the presence of God is going to be so bright and so beautiful. Uh, Verse 12 through 14. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So walls and gates, they're often used on earth um, for something to protect us. Right, You put a a gate up or a wall up or an invisible fence up because you want to make sure somebody or something that you love is safe. Gates, they keep dangers and enemies out. But in the New Jerusalem, there are no more enemies. And this is total victory because Christ has defeated the enemy once and for all. In fact, in Revelation 21, 25, it talks more about this and it says, on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. There's nothing to run from. There's nothing to be afraid of. The new city and the new earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. No darkness, no pain, no bad motives, no sin. Is anyone else looking forward to that? No looking behind your back. No wondering if someone's going to hurt you. No, no figuring out how you're going to hide that thing that's important to you so no one takes it. And any citizen of the new earth is always welcome inside the gates. The gates stay open because we have free access to the king's throne. Everyone will have access because of Christ's death on the cross and his shed blood. Right up to God. You just go right up. You don't even wait in line. Fast pass. And there is God waiting to talk with you and be with you because of your relationship with him. Uh, Let's read 15 through 17. This talks about the size of the new Jerusalem. 
The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and as high and as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. Now, John wrote this, and we don't know if he's being literal or symbolic, uh, but let's pretend for a minute if we took these measurements literally. 12,000 stadia is 1,400 miles. Okay, so that would be from the Canadian border to the Mexican border longitude. That's how uh, wide that is. And from the Appalachian Mountains to the California border latitude. So the ground level of the New Jerusalem would be nearly 2 million square miles. Then the scripture says the city is the same in width as it is height. It's kind of hard to imagine in our minds. But if the city consisted of different levels or different stories, this math would imply that it could be over 600,000 stories high. So can you imagine getting in that elevator? Boink! 100,000, 295,000. Billions of people could occupy the New Jerusalem, literally. Here's the bottom line. We don't know if John has a supernatural insight into the actual size of heaven or if this is just for us to go wow but here's the bottom line heaven is going to be roomy okay heaven is going to be spacious and there is room for you in heaven if you are a believer in Jesus there is never a we weren't letting anyone else in or we we don't have any more space for you or because you act or did this or you are like that you don't get to come in okay if you're a believer in Jesus if you confess your sin you turn from your 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 sinful nature you ask God to be lord of your life and you believe that he died on a cross and rose from the dead in 3 days and he lives again forever you get a room in heaven i don't know what floor you're going to be on but you get it okay and god's going to tell us that when we get there. Uh, let's pick up in verse 24. We read 24 through 27. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no light or no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the word that stuck out to me in this passage uh, was the word nations. And like the current earth we live on, the new Jerusalem will be a melting pot of ethnic diversity. Unlike the current earth that we live on, the diversity in the new Jerusalem will be united. Every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people, every nation will be united under the common worship of King Jesus. And not only will we be united, we're going to like it. We're going to delight in each other's differences. There will never be resentment or be frightened by the differences among them. And I can say this with absolute certainty and absolute clarity today. There will be no racial prejudice in heaven. There will be no racial or national superiority. There will be no disputes over borders. There will be nobody who says, you don't get in, but you do. There will be nobody who says, you don't look like me, so you can't have this particular uh, privilege. On the new earth, we will never celebrate sin. 
We will celebrate how God intended, but we will celebrate diversity in the biblical sense. We'll never try to keep people out. We'll welcome them in, exercising hospitality to everyone around us. And just a, 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 little, a little bit on that. Peace on earth won't be accomplished until we do that here. Peace will be accomplished by a unifying loyalty to the king of heaven. That's why we have to practice it on earth, because it is as it is in heaven. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Revelation 22, 1 through 3, the last chapter in the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river on the, of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. I love how this passage just gives us a glimpse of what we will be doing in verse three. It says, uh, the throne of God and the lamb will be in the city. And look at that together with me. His servants will what? Serve him. His servants will serve him. Have you ever imagined, maybe as you read the scripture, as you thought about it, who his servants are, who, who will be in heaven? Well, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Ruth, Daniel, the widow who never ran out of oil. I can't wait to know her name. Peter, James, Paul, Mary and Joseph, Martha. And then, of course, Martin Luther and John Wesley and Mother Teresa and Billy Graham and martyrs from the Middle Ages and missionaries that were tortured and killed and pastors who preached in hard places. And you know who else will be there? And these are the ones I believe will be more famous in heaven than maybe any of the ones that I've listed the people who were kind to the disabled and neglected. The people who prayed and made indents on the floor with their knees. The people who quietly lived their life in faithfulness and generosity. And the people who no one ever knew their names on earth, but are real life heroes when they get to heaven. I wanna look at one more passage in the scripture about heaven. Uh, this comes from 1 Thessalonians. And um, when 1 Thessalonians was, was written, Paul was kind of sensing this concern um, that people were having. They were having anxiety about their loved ones dying, and they didn't know what was happening to them. And in the culture at the time, the people had no faith. They lived in a pagan world. They had no hope for after death. And so Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, this is from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uniformed, uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So Paul describes um, those who have died as those who have fallen asleep. And this same phraseology happens um, throughout the New Testament, actually, in, in different points. Sleep is a common figure of speech for death. And it's important to note that in the New Testament, it is only used in reference to believers who have died, okay? Uh, this is the metaphor that suggests that death to a Christ follower 
is like sleep. Okay, death of a Christ follower is like sleep. Uh, let me tell you why this is a metaphor. Uh, when your body sleeps, you still exist, right? As a Christian, we know that death does not mean we cease to exist. The grave is more like a bed for our physical body. We know there is more after death. Also, when we sleep, the immaterial part of us functions because we dream and our subconscious is still at work. So in the same way, after death, the believer's soul and spirit are not only awake, but they're enjoying the presence of God. Here's maybe the most important metaphor to that word sleep. Another way sleep is a metaphor for death is that it's temporary. Your alarm goes off every morning, right? Whether you want it to or not. Sleep is temporary. And so is death of the body for Christians. You see, this figure of speech for death anticipates resurrection. This isn't final. These believers have fallen asleep because it isn't final anymore. They're gonna wake up someday. There's a promise for that. And that's what the scripture's talking about. So let's actually read uh, the rest of 1 Thessalonians 4 and 15 um, through 18. Pastor Andy, would you finish up with that part? According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So these verses, they're giving us a timeline of how things are going to unfold. That one glorious day, heaven and earth will be reunited again fully. Those two circles will overlap again perfectly and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And the day and the hour, only God knows. And on that day, heaven and earth are ready to fully combine again. And in that moment, the Lord himself will come down from heaven and in a loud voice will call those who have died as Christ followers, who have fallen asleep, and they will rise first. And then the rest of us who are alive, when this event happens, we get caught up in the air with the Lord, meeting the people that we have loved and lost. And then the scripture says, we all will be with the Lord forever. And now this scripture is a really a win-win situation. You know, we can live and look for and long for the promised coming of the Lord. He could come back in our generation. He could. We need to be ready. In fact, the Lord often tells me, Nicole, are you ready? Nicole, are you ready? Nicole, are you ready? I've heard that several times in my walk with the Lord. Are you ready? Because really, he could come back anytime, any minute. But if Jesus does not come back when we are alive, we should never be afraid of death. Because if death comes first, we can be confident of the resurrection that we will experience at Christ's return. And this is what we call the blessed hope. There is a blessed hope. Now, there are things in the scripture that have to happen before Jesus comes back. We talked about those a few series ago, uh, but what I'm saying is it's in motion, okay? God's timeline is in motion and he will do it at his time. Mankind without a relationship with Jesus has no hope, but all of this good news is not waiting for them 
at the end of their life. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your your sin and rose again in three days and ascended into heaven to rule and to reign, these promises are for you. And I just, I want to implore you, if you're not sure, if you're not secure in your relationship with Jesus, if you don't know if you're gonna go to heaven, first of all, I want you to know you can know. That's something you can know. That The scripture says, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are. And so if you wanna secure what's going to happen to you after 10 out of 10 of us die, because we all are, then you need to come face to face with that reality. And I wanna encourage you before you go to any potato salad picnic today, come down to these prayer tables to my right and to my left at the end of service. Don't roll the dice on this. Like make sure you have a full understanding of the gospel because you don't have to worry about where you're gonna spend eternity. There is opportunity to make sure that that is secure. Secondly, if you've lost someone you love and they had a relationship with Jesus, the scripture tells us that that parting is not the end of the relationship. In fact, it's only an interruption. The scripture uh, says, we will be with the Lord forever. That's such a great word, we. That means you will be together again with those who you have lost. Uh, What a gracious and loving God to allow that. What a gracious and loving God to allow us uh, to be together again in a new city, in a new place where there are no tears and no darkness, in a place where everything is perfect and we get to be with the very people that we love. I can only imagine how great the city of God will be that he is preparing. And I can only imagine what it will be like when we get there with all the people who have fallen asleep in Christ. And I just want to remember and imagine that for a minute.
listening to the Erie First Podcast. We'd love it if you give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.